0: cloister bell imminent disaster
1: the cloister bell yes what's that well it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations
0: that's the cloister bell don't worry about that for now it's not really terribly significant the cloister bell
1: oh no hi there welcome back this is the cloister bell podcast i'm liam and he's rob uh hi (laughs) <laughs> hi, name. Hi, everyone. Yes, hi, everyone. And hi, Rob. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good, thank you. Good, good. So before uh, we get on to the main stuff, we'll have our sort of like random chat. Our first thing is, what have you got to drink, if indeed anything? Oh, I've got something. I've just got an ale out of the fridge. Camden
0: Canopy IPA. Hmm. It's in like a, a pale mustard-coloured can.
1: Okay, have you had it before?
0: Maybe. Oh, shit, it's exploded. (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay. You don't want something to explode, so you just lunge your mouth onto it to catch
1: (laughs) it. (laughs) Right, okay, so you've just downed it. Um, Mm. (laughs) Does it taste all right? Yeah.
0: It's quite mild, but it's tasty. All right, good, good. Mildly hoppy.
1: Oh, nice. You like hoppy, don't you? Yeah,
0: I like anything. I'm easy.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, at this end, um, to drink, I have uh, some water. Actually, I need a sip. Hang on.
0: Just dried my
1: phone. Ah, water. Um, But I've also got um, some Madagascan vanilla ice cream. Oh nice. Yeah. Um It's not that long out of the freezer, so I'm just gonna let that stand for a bit and defrost... actually hang on. Is it Let's See if I can I think it's pretty much still frozen solid at the minute, see oh. if I can.
0: There's nothing worse than when you're so desperate to eat it. <laughs> and then you just literally yeah. piercing the spoon through your hand just <laughs> to get that about.
1: Yeah, I mean I managed to bend sort of in like- the spoon. Yeah. Sort of- I managed to get a slither of it. Yeah, I need to stand that probably for a good ten minutes before, but I'll try. Remindy. Mm. Oh yeah, because I don't want it sort of like oh I've got a I've got a carton of a pool of white liquid here. Nice. Um, mm. Yeah, so just leave that there. So, um, since our last podcast, uh, have you been up to much?
0: Not a great deal.
1: Not a great deal, Liam.
0: Not much at all. I um, <laughs> uh, we been watching some Black Mirror. I think that's something you've watched in the past Um, and I've only seen the odd one and I I don't know if maybe there's a new series out or something, maybe that's why I clicked on it but um, yeah, I've watched a couple of episodes And? It's alright It's it's nothing mind-blowing but you know, Mm. it's it's interesting Uh, I think one one of the last ones I watched had uh, Jodie Whittaker in
1: I had no idea she was in one Do do you remember the episode? Mm.
0: Yeah, it was the the third and final episode of the first series. And in this scenario, people have a chip in the back back of the neck behind the ear which records memory so they they have complete recall of memory. Hmm. And this element um is used in this scenario with this couple where there's a there's the man who becomes jealous of Jodie Whittaker's ex-partner and the problem is they can, literally, recall memories on a video screen. Um, which you can imagine in the middle of an argument, like you said, this no, he didn't. Yes, he did. And um, oh god, yeah. <laughs> and also, um, it turns out that Jordy Whitaker, well, I don't know, well, she had an affair, but her character, not her in person, <laughs> um, with right. her, with one of her ex ex partners, that had a bit of a thing, and then he, uh. He goes to see the ex-partner and threatens him and tells him to wipe his wipe his memories. Um, but also on the memories, he sees um, this memory of his of Jodie Whittaker, but it's in their bedroom, so he knows she's just kind of cheated on him.
1: Oh, okay. So, um, that was that, yeah. Oh, okay. Was that any good? I don't think I saw that one, but it doesn't ring any bells. It was all right. Of the first series, there was
0: that the first episode what the heck was that about.
1: That was the pig one. Everyone remembers that oh, one. Oh, that Rob. was the pig one, yeah.
0: <laughs> and that's really weird because the in in that particular episode, um the Prime Minister has to do something to a pig. Um the guy who plays him mm. um I guess we know him from the Daniel Craig films, yeah.
1: Oh yes, Crumbs what is he's a really good actor as well. And forgotten his name now. Well, his father was an actor as well. He's been in loads of stuff including Blake 70s. He's, he's in one of the right. Beatles films. Oh. Rory Bremner. No. Is it? Not Rory Bremner. I won't, Bremna- I won't, I won't uh, recall the name. Yeah. It's doing my head in. Anyway, yes. He plays but the Prime Minister what now.
0: takes this to another level of weird, he also plays the Prime Minister in that new show. I think it's The Diplomat. So when season two of that comes out, I'm just gonna have that pig scene in mind. <laughs> right. Okay. Um. Another episode in Black Mirror in the first series was where there's this man, um, kind of living in a room with the the walls are like screens, and they have to watch adverts to earn credits, and then they go to work just riding on, um, little exercise bikes.
1: Oh yes, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that,
0: that one. Yeah. But oh, yeah, that was, sorry, that was uh that, a fun little one.
1: Yeah. That actor's his name's Rory Kinnear. Right. And his father was Roy Kinnear. Oh. And um Oh yes, and he also play he was also in um, Roy Kinnear, the uh, the father, he was also in the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory film. He plays the father of Veruca Salt.
0: He right, I can see it now. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it for me, um, and I, I kind of started the an Alien podcast. It's one that I've dipped in and out over the years anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, I do listen to Alien vs. Predator Galaxy podcast, um, which is a podcast from the AVP Galaxy website, which oh. is a, a quite a, quite a decent site for getting news and stuff, but the podcast in particular gets quite quite a few interviews on Um mm. so occasionally i go on to that there's also a us one perfect organism they've been going maybe five or six years now um and they're quite popular now so occasionally i'll listen to that if they've got like a book author they're interviewing or whatever on as a guest um but i just thought i'd start that from the beginning oh, okay. um, and it's interesting going back when they're, they're quite a big podcast now mm. with hundreds of patrons looking back um it's like it's like um starting off at ground level you know it it sounds quite different mm-hmm. so it it's interesting like listening through no oh, right okay. i mean if, if you listen to this podcast it's like just the same <laughs> we started at rock bottom and we're still there
1: <laughs> i'm joking <laughs> now i don't i think we've improved even <laughs> if marginally but um well i um hang on sorry i need to a- Oh, for goodness Jesus. sake. Jesus, was that,
0: that... The ice cream broke the spoon?
1: No, the spoon was uh, ba- balanced on top of the um, the ice cream tub and I uh, knocked it while well, I'm trying to get some water. Um, What was I going to say? Oh, yes, Monday uh, after work, uh, I went to the cinema for the first time in um, a few months and I saw the
0: new... <clears throat> the, the Flash?
1: Spider-Man? No, no, I saw the new Indiana Jones film oh yeah I keep on wanting to call it Indiana Jones Dial M for Murder but it's um, Indiana Jones Dial for Destiny that's it yeah Um, any good? it was alright it was funny it was one of those things where I wasn't really that fussed about watching it and I went no I'm in the mood of going to the cinema Um, I'll see what it's about you know I like the Indiana Jones films I still haven't seen Crystal Skull Uh, and I know I haven't as well I've, I, you know what i think i've caught it on the tv i've seen clips I've seen, of it i've seen bits of it yeah yeah, yeah. and um i know it really, I no interest well i know it was rubbish. uh but i sort of like yeah i would like to see it having seen this one it has sort of uh piqued my curiosity so i may watch crystal skull at some point um but yeah the, the new one it's it's funny it seems to have got from what I can gather from some people, it's just like, oh, it's absolutely marvelous, and there's a lot of people just going, oh, it's just dross, and I hate it. And it's okay, um, is my ringing endorsement of it. I mean, by the time I got to the cinema, I was actually really looking forward to it, so I was in a really good mood. Um, um, I think the thing is, it it doesn't really have a a story as such. You know, when you know when you have the beginning of a story and then it progresses it doesn't really seem to change so you've got this thing which is this dial which was made by um archimedes and yeah. this gives I would you... go
0: into just mild spoiler territory here
1: yes I, i'm not going to spoil the whole movie i mean this is the stuff which is at the very beginning of the film okay uh but all what i'll say is sort of so this is established um you've got this this part of a um a dial which Archimedes made, and um, oh, I am gonna make—I am gonna say a sentence which, out of context, and dear listeners, and you, Rob, as well. Um, please do not sort of like take what I'm about to say and snip it out, and then just this.
0: This will be this will be the will be the, um, the preview for this episode. Probably, I'll just take that little snippet,
1: right? Which is <laughs> the movie starts, and it was just like, "Yay, the Nazis are back." Um, So for those who don't know, with the Indiana Jones films, uh, with the first movie and the third, um, which are regarded as the best in the series, although I do quite like Temple of Doom, but um, with the first and the third movie, the the main villains are the Nazis. So it's Indiana Jones versus the Nazis. Um, And I know that in Crystal Skull, it was communists. But in fact I I don't know what it you know being an Indiana Jones film it just feels right that he's he's up against the Nazis. So at the beginning yeah. of the movie it's just like yay the Nazis are back. Um which yay. will probably be the only time I will ever have that reaction in relation to Nazis. <laughs> um but uh well you would hope so anyway. Um that's good. Yeah. And but but anyway not, sorry so, so getting to the point so oh, that I was making before <laughs> before going on the before uh <laughs> before revealing to everyone that I'm a fascist. Um, so you have this thing, which is a dial, uh, which Archimedes met, uh, had, and Indiana Jones obviously has to keep it out of the hand of the Nazis. And that's it. That's the story of the entire film. Oh, spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> but, you know, it does have some... Um, you know, it does have some good characters, good actors. Um, You know, it was it a was basic... It was an enjoyable film, um, but I just felt like the action sequences went on for a little bit too long and there's an awful lot of them. But, uh, yeah, it was all right. I give it 6 out of 10. What what would you say about the music? Yeah, funny enough, because a lot of people are saying... Because John Williams is one of the greatest uh, composers ever and has provided us with some of the best um, movie scores ever composed. And there is a thing of going because uh, I think he's in his late 90s now, and there is that feeling of "God, this may be his last ever score. Um, it's it, a good does score. It,
0: does it feel like a very signature piece? Like, you can identify the music for all the previous Indiana Jones films, kind of.
1: Well, obviously, you've got the theme, um, and I think the the score, you the know, theme itself is recognisable. What I will say is that there are some instances where the Indiana Jones theme comes in, and you just go... Oh, bit of an odd place to use it. <laughs> um, like you hear it early on in the movie, of course, uh, during an action sequence, and its placement of it just made me think that is an odd place to have it. So, th- so I would say that you know the skull's okay. Um, it's not. It's not perfect. There's some, I would say, some peculiar choices, but it's not awful by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, for goodness' sake! Oh, God, see, just start eating it already. Oh, yeah, it's melted. To prefer- right, okay, I can have some ice cream.
0: Mmm, ice cream, great. I've like skipped tea for this, and you're eating that. <laughs> Why did you skip? Why did you skip dinner, Rob? Well, I was running behind, um, and. On the way to recording this, I, I went past the fridge, <laughs> grabbed a knife, and got a slice of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty nice.
1: much it. Cheddar?
0: Yeah, just plain old cheddar. Nothing wrong with cheddar? It's, yeah. you know. Not Nothing wrong with vanilla ice cream? It is fancy vanilla ice cream. I think, but,
1: mm. Mm, yeah, but... Uh, uh, mm.
0: My cheese was very vanilla. <laughs> marks.
1: vanilla <laughs> cheddar? That sounds rank anyway just out of curiosity was it was it mild or strong cheddar
0: oh it, it was mature mm. but yeah just you know the regular supermarket mature nothing like blow your socks off kind of crazy mature mm.
1: the rest of the podcast is just uh, is just me, you listeners just hearing noises me just diving into Yeah, school. I thought I'd
0: just give you some time there it's rude talking when someone's eating was mm. it the
1: other way around <laughs> it's eat to, <laughs> it's rude to eat when someone's talking yeah, yeah I'll um mm, that's mm. good for another ice cream um so yeah so saw that but uh so even though I thought that the movie was okay um just being in the cinema again it was it just felt good. Um, so it's just like, yeah, I, I want to get back to the cinema a bit more. But oh, we're just around at... the corner from having some good films. Uh, Oppenheim, I'm re- ever since I found out it was coming out last year, I've been really looking forward to it. And finally, we're around the corner of that being released. Um, so I'm really looking forward to watching that. Um, interestingly, I, I don't know what it is. I just had it in my mind that maybe the, the interest of Oppenheim would be a bit um, a bit niche but no there's there's loads and loads of people really looking forward to that work colleagues have been talking about it in fact there's quite a few people and i can see this is online as well people seem to be having this thing where what they plan to do is go to the cinema and make a day of it and what they're going to do is they're going to see, because i think they come out the same day um, they're going to watch Oppenheim, uh, and they're also going to watch the barbie movie <laughs> which you know, actually <laughs> so it's like you know what? For absolute contrast, I think that does sound fun. And I did see the trailer for the Barbie movie. Not quite my thing. I did like, but it did, it, it does look like a lot of fun, and I did laugh at, at, at some of the jokes in it. And it's just like, yeah, maybe it will. Yeah. Um. But I I liked it going. You know, if you love Barbie, this is the movie for you. And then later going if, if you, you hate, hate Barbie, Barbie <laughs> this is the movie for yeah. you. So it's just sort of like, yeah yeah it, it,
0: shooty's in there somewhere he's a ken Yeah,
1: she is um, he sorry shooty yes yeah, yeah yeah he's in it i thought you said she, yeah she is oh sorry i was uh, yeah um i had some uh, vanilla ice cream in my yeah, mouth yeah mouthful, mouthful, mouthful ice cream Yeah, mouthful ice cream. yes he is in that and um because uh who plays the main ken again what's his name ryan gosling oh yeah because there was that shot of him i think when they were recording it he has uh a t-shirt with his face on it face on it Congratulating him on being uh, the new doctor. Oh, right, okay. And and people are going, you know, actually, it should be a great coup. You should get Ryan Gosling into Doctor Who. And do you know what? It's just like, yeah, that would be amazing. And it would get a lot of people interested in it. And yeah. I mean, I don't know Ryan Gosling, but. um he be been in, red. like,
0: Blade Runner and things?
1: Yes. W- was he also in that movie Driver, or am I getting mixed up with someone else? Oh, I don't know. Hang on, let's have a look. But yes, he was in the uh, the more recent Blade Runner movie, Twenty Forty Nine, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yes, he is in that movie. Driver, he plays the main character. Driver. Is he the driver? Yeah. Just driver. Yeah, just driver. I don't think he has a name. Just, just driver. Oh. Although driver is a surname, so maybe maybe he's he plays Mr. Driver. I don't know, but. Yeah, maybe Mister Driver. Yeah, for my swim. Yeah,
0: oh, I'll have some more beer.
1: Nice. <laughs> <coughs> um.
0: Oh yes, yeah, so we're talking about um. What's it today? We're talking about what's it? <laughs> the keeper of trolling. And when I was on socials today, doing that throwback Thursday that I tagged you in. I realised we've been doing season 18 for over a year. Okay, now.
1: <laughs> yeah. I hadn't realised. I thought we'd been doing this since the beginning of the year, which was long enough. But the fact that we've been doing this since...
0: Before a year ago. Like, it must have been a year and a, a year and a few weeks.
1: Yeah, it was just supposed to be a couple of months. And this is going
0: on for a couple more weeks. So, yeah, it must be like... 13 months or something by the end of it or longer
1: Yeah, it's a bit like um, certain things, you know how Heartbeat was set in the 1950s, the TV programme, and it, it yeah. went on longer than. The, I think it went yeah. on for 20 years, so it lasted longer than the actual decade it was set in and I think MASH, which was set during the Vietnam War did not that go on for longer than the Vietnam? It was something like that. So yeah, yeah. we've been reviewing season eighteen longer than season it eighteen. Say we've been trapped
0: in nineteen eighty. Although
1: you know that's that you know if you put it like that, Rob, that's that doesn't sound too bad. I mean, I wasn't around for nineteen eighty, but you know, I wouldn't mind going back and yeah, you know, I think it'd be quite good. Decent yeah. movies, good music.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yes, we're talking about the Keeper yeah. of Trakhan. So, getting into it. So it's a four-part four story. And uh, the plot synopsis, again, I'm nicking from Doctor Who the Handbook, which was published in the early 90s. It says, The Doctor and Adric are visited in the TARDIS by the Keeper of Trakhan, an elderly wizened man who tells them of a great evil, which has come to his planet in the form of the Melker, a calcified statue which was once an evil entity. Drawn to the goodness and tranquility of the union of Trakan as a moth is to a flame. The Keeper's reign is nearly at an end, and he requests that the Doctor come to Trakan to prevent the evil from taking control of the bioelectronic source, which is the keystone of the Union Society. On Trakan, Council Cassia marries widower Council Tremas, only to find that Tremas has been chosen as the next Keeper nominate, which means that she must leave him. The Melker whispers to her that he can prevent this, and in desperation Cassia agrees. The Melker, via various deception, becomes the next Keeper and is revealed to be the Master's TARDIS, its operator still blackened and emaciated as he was in his last meeting with the Doctor, which was the deadly assassin. The Master hopes to use the power of the Source to regenerate himself, but the Doctor manages to expel him using the servo shut-off and sanctioning programs and install Council Luvic as a new Keeper in his place. In a last-minute ploy, the master traps Council Tremas and merges with his body before fleeing Trachan. Nyssa, Tremas's daughter, is left concerned as to her father's whereabouts. So with the cast and crew, Tom Baker plays the Doctor, Matthew Waterhouse plays Adric, Sarah Sutton plays uh, Nyssa, Anthony Ainley plays Tremas, Sheila Ruskin plays Cassia, Dennis Carey plays the Keeper, John Woodnut plays Seren, Margaret Burr plays Katura Robin Soans plays Luvik Roland Oliver plays Neiman. Jeffrey beavers plays Melka slash the master the story was directed by John black it was written by Johnny Byrne and it was produced by John Nathan Turner so um, with just a couple of things Jeffrey beavers um, you know plays the master here and uh on the basis of that and he he, he got cast in the role in this story because of him uh, mainly being a radio actor but he played on um he'd appeared on television as well it was mainly through the voice and he plays the master in quite a few big Finnish audio adventures he does um he played the master
0: from a story called dust breeding onwards mm-hmm. um and since big finish i've really come to like appreciate him as a tv master yeah i think i hadn't noticed it before but he has a really good voice for the master
1: oh yeah it's fantastic um and also married to caroline john who played liz shaw in john perky's first season Mm -hmm. um Margaret Vanderbilt, uh, who plays Couture, uh I think this is her second appearance. Um, she was in the William Hartnell story, The Aztecs. Oh, right. Um, yeah, she plays... I've forgotten the character's name, but becomes the. Uh, she's the love interest that the Doctor has in that story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. John Woodnut, again, great actor. He's He plays Saron on this. Um I think he may may have been in Doctor Who a couple of times before, but he was certainly in Terror of the Zygons. Um and this story we see the the introduction of um Nyssa. So there's a few things. And of course the big you know thing is really this, you know, this is Tom Baker's penultimate story. So this is his his full last adventure, uh, before we, you know, before we sort of like start counting down <laughs> when he's gonna leave. Um mm-hmm. In a funny sort of way, uh, I never thought of this before. When I was but when when I was watching this uh, story again for for the podcast, um, it made me think uh, a little bit of the David Tennant era, uh, in the sense that it, it bit of a contrast with Utopia. So, um, John Nathan Turner, who is producing the show at this point, um, thought it was a good idea to bring the Master back. And he hadn't been in the show for an awfully long time. And the last time it was in The Deadly Assassin. And that was just sort of like a one-off appearance. And the idea was, you know, bring the master back, but as a regular villain. Um, So really what The Keeper of Trakan does is use it as a means of reintroducing this classic uh, villain to the series, um, which Utopia did as well. And it... In some respects, I feel like there's a little bit of a similarity in terms of the structure of it. You know, the story begins as as one thing. And then the fact that the master's actually involved and there's, there's a big reveal happens at the end of the story.
0: Yeah. And, then and, that... and also the fact that it leads into something else.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, the Keeper of Tarkin does, Utopia does. And... I mean, unlike the the David Tennant era, that you know, the, the reintroduction of the Master wasn't the means of bumping off David Tennant. Although that he is the villain at the end of David Tennant's run, but it was it was just sort of interesting that sort of that that structure of. I think there is a little bit of a sim, sort of like a similarity there. Just out of curiosity, Rob, before we sort of like get into the Keeper of Dragon properly, yeah. Um, I mean. Uh, I don't know whether it's sort of like comparing chalk and cheese but um, I mean which did you prefer Keeper of chalking or Utopia?
0: That is an interesting question um, I'd probably say The Keeper of Tarkin but ju- just because I have a, a fondness for it mm. but Utopia maybe I could take more away from that and
1: it's more entertaining Yeah that's true but I, I think, if uh, for me, I think I would prefer The, the Keeper of Traken for one reason, which is going to sound a bit cruel. Because Utopia is, you know, as you say, it's entertaining and it's fair enough to watch. But I would say that The Keeper of Traken has one advantage over Utopia, and that is it has a story. <laughs> whereas whereas Utopia just feels like... Um, like, it, like if it wasn't for the fact that the Master is revealed at the end of the episode... I don't think Utopia would be really that memorable. No, um, it wasn't necessarily focused
0: on humanity trying to be saved mm. to go to Utopia. Yeah. That that just kind of went on in the background. And then they all got their heads cut
1: off. <laughs> yeah, but not <laughs> in the story. You're making it sound more interesting. Yes. Uh, when they... Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting and quite dark, but... So have we done Utopia? I don't think we have. I, no, I don't think we have. Yeah, so at some point we'll. We, I mean, obviously at some point we will get around to reviewing that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was just it was just something that crossed my mind. I'd never thought of it before, but I was just thinking, oh, there's a little bit of similarities going on between um, between how the Master was brought back in the new series and then what John Nathan Turner did here, um, which I just thought was interesting. Um, so at this point. You know we're following on from warrior's gate uh romana and K Nine are left so the tallest crew at this point is just uh, Ad- uh adric and the doctor and one thing um and this isn't the first time i've thought this it's um but i feel like in this story matthew waterhouse is an actor i just think he's better do you think he's
0: definitely not annoying <laughs> and he has um reasonable dialogue so yeah,
1: yeah. I think I think that helps as well. I think Johnny Byrne um, did a very good job with the with the script, and this was inspired by his observations on human civilization and his sort of thing of going, well, there seems to be cycles, and I think he, I think he cites a thousand years as being the cycle, which is that civilization sort of peaks. And then at the end of that you know there's there's a lot of commotion and change things running rampant, a lot of superstitious nonsense that seems to to, to run in the air uh, before then things calm down. Maybe I can write a story on those sort of lines, which is an interesting idea um and I think he does a very good job, especially because I think you know that's quite a complicated um idea to do in a tv series of four episodes of which are 25 minutes each but he manages to use that idea create create this world of of and i think the the characters are really rather are very well fleshed out um there is a sort of um I would say the first two episodes, I think, especially with uh, Sheila Ruskin's performance of Cassia, I think there are some moments of, I think, what is quite a nicely paced and nicely directed and really well performed um, story. There are some moments of over the top acting. And I think because everything else is quite subdued in relation to that, um, it stands out all the more. You know, when she's going about, don't you realise? You know, the sort of the voice and the sort of like the hands up against the face. Before you, before your eyes. And the way that she sort of like dramatically faints, it's all a bit. Mm. (laughs) But then I I suppose it it goes in with the character. But there are some sort of like over the top dram moments. Oh, yeah. But on the whole, and of course, you got the cliffhanger to episode one with the Keeper of going, evil Ultimate evil you know, it's just like whoa, okay, I know it's the end of the episode, but calm it down, mate. So uh, but uh. Apart, but apart, so apart from Um Apart from some some of those moments, I think by and large the story's quite um sensibly pitched with just yes. a few moments of hysteria.
0: And I feel like the master did well until he was defeated. And then he's you- getting to screaming.
1: I was going to say, is that the bit where he's, he sticks his finger in a socket and starts screaming his head off? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But, um. I suppose it adds some sort of. Uh, another element of, of entertainment on this story. Yeah. But. Uh, despite these sort of like these one or two moments, I do think. Um, I think that the story's kind of pitched at at the right level with just just these peaks of performances going a little bit off the scale. Um, Yeah.
0: With the characters that you said were maybe more fleshed out, mm. um, is it Cassia? Yes. Is that her name? Yeah, she's probably more developed than, say, Nyssa. Yeah. Nyssa's just kind of shoehorned in and then serves a purpose with the plot in maybe episode three and four a little bit. Uh, but yeah, Nissa isn't really in the foreground of what's going on that much, is she?
1: No. And I think obviously we're coming from the point because we know that she becomes a regular, but, uh, but she wasn't actually designed to be. And I think that sort of shows it does. Yeah. Um, I think she, you know, th- the way that she's written into the, the story. Um, so, you know, is you know, she is Tremas' daughter. They clearly have a very good relationship. She's very intelligent. She knows how the source works. She has some understanding of her father's work. Tremas being a scientist. Um, And yeah, of course, I need to say, the in episode three and four, she comes more to the forefront in being able to help Adric. And help Adric, Doctor, and her father escape. Uh, and so on. But um, you wouldn't be watching the story and thinking, oh, um she must become a companion. It wasn't that at all. It was it was actually on the basis of Sarah Sutton's performance. And she is a good actress, so it's it's hardly surprising. But it was on the basis of that of going, oh, actually. Maybe she would be good as a regular. And she sort of gets um I wouldn't say she was uh, shoehorned into this story, but I do feel like she sort of like shoehorned in Legopolis a bit. She's just Obviously, we'll get onto that, and uh, when we come to reviewing it, but she just just suddenly randomly appears. The Watcher brings her and goes, "But why? But you don't mind it because it's a nice character, and it's a good, you know." And yeah, fine, Yeah, we'll yeah. excuse that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting that we we have a companion introduced, but of course she wasn't supposed to be a companion just just a, just a, a just a decent character in a regular Doctor Who story.
0: Yeah. It was a nice surprise when I got the DVD out, and I realized it was signed.
1: Yes, I saw that Charles. you. Uh, yeah, I saw that you put that up on there uh, Twitter. I got. I am trying to think. Um...
0: That was clearly not the time that I pissed her off.
1: No, I think that was the second time you met her. Yeah, um,
0: she must have forgot who I was by that point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it you weren't being deliberately rude the first time. You just it was yeah. just sort of uh, just nerves. Nerves, yeah. Do you want to? T- <laughs> I think you've told the story before the podcast, but do you want to tell it again?
0: Um, yeah, well, we were queuing up for for Sarah Sutton, and I I was a bit nervous, and I forgot to speak, and I just plonked like a big finished CD down in front of her the sign. hadn't realised that I hadn't spoke, and she just gave me a bit of a cold stare, waited for me to speak, and I didn't answer, and then and then she said, "Look down," and she simply wrote her name, <laughs> not not best wishes, not love, not to.
1: Well, she must have thought, well, you've just thrown this in my face, expecting me to sign it. You're clearly gonna, it. you're clearly just going to sell it on eBay or something. Yeah. Um,
0: well, I, I, well, I can do now. She, she didn't dedicate it, so yeah.
1: There you go. She was doing you a favor, Rob. Um, I got her to sign uh, the DVDs for um, Arc of Infinity and uh, Black Orchid. Um,
0: didn't I? Maybe I got it to sign on oh, the visitation. Bit... I think. It may have been. What was that big finished one? The Land of the Dead. And that might have been a oh, bit of yes. a yeah, bit yeah. of a terrible cover, actually. Let's have a look. The Land of the
1: Dead, Doctor Who. It can't be as bad as the the VHS or DVD cover of Time Flight. I think that's one of the worst cover designs. Oh,
0: ever. oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, where
1: it looks like a... a, It's actually... Funny enough, one of the reasons why it's some of the worst covers ever is because what they do to Sarah's... (laughs) It's just... Her face looks so badly cut up in that. It's just... It's so bizarre. Yeah, it really is.
0: I've just sent you a message of the Land of the Dead cover.
1: Right. Does it have a skull on it or something? Hang on.
0: It does. I do remember that was an interesting one because in the booklet, when we opened it up, it had a map of the facility inside.
1: Yeah, which I told you about and you <laughs> And you'd had this uh didn't you you've had the CD probably since it came out and you didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's yeah, it's it's not a great cover, but Yeah, it was early days. Yeah, we'll let them off. <laughs> yeah, we'll let them off.
0: Uh but the DVDs on the other hand, you can't excuse that.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Um Anyway, yes. Uh, what were we talking about?
0: I don't know. Um, was it. Oh, yeah, we were on the Legopolis somehow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The story we we're not supposed to be reviewing. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. I think you're getting just... too
0: excited, Lee. You're just you trying to end this too soon. We've got weeks left. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just from just season 18. I just want to, to wrap end. it up. Please make it end. Anyway, yeah. Um, oh, well, thanks, Rob. My plans for that are scuppered, so I suppose we've got to string this out for a few more yeah. weeks. So, anyway, yes. Back to Keeper of Traken. Um, uh... We're
0: talking about the characters, which were well, you, was, they were all quite good. the The whole set end of the planet mm. was presented well, um, and the lo- locations as well. The the um, the garden area. Mm-hmm. What was it called? Oh, uh, the grove. The grove. Mm. Um, that was the scale of that was done quite well. We had the gate from the courtyard into that, mm-hmm. and the large open area with, uh, with the statue.
1: Yeah, I mean th- that's another thing which I really like about this show is the show is the design of it. it. It's got this Art Nouveau look to it. Um, which lends everything kind of a, a really nice, rich look to it. But also, um, the there are you know corridors and other bits which are also clearly inspired by um, the architect Gaudi, um, who is from Barcelona, uh, which I've visited um, before, and I've 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 been to the public garden and uh, one or two buildings that Gaudi actually designed. And so ever since that visit to Barcelona when I looked at the keeper of track and just being able to see those architectural influences within the story um is you know is really quite nice so yes i think the story is very well designed from the uh, Yeah i really paid
0: ten- attention to some of the detail mm.
1: and th- there's a lot of detail um yeah really intricate mm. kind of work there yeah um and you've got some really nice rich um, costumes as well, um, yeah, and it really lends one. It's it's it, it makes the the story very visually appealing to look at, but it also gives you a, a really strong sense of you know the the, the culture of of Trachon. and the and then,
0: music. What, and oh the, yeah,
1: attitudes. The I think this is probably some of the best music that's ever been made for a Doctor Who story.
0: Yeah, and they even have like a class system because like when there's like people gathered at the gates for the grove the guys like they're just ordinary regular citizens
1: <laughs> yes yeah yeah uh, in fact well going off uh, going off on a bit of a tangent again but um a friend of mine who ha- uh, has a cousin who's uh, a lot younger than us and um when i was in my early 20s he was still a kid and so i've seen him grow up And, um, he really took to me, but the thing is like, sort of like when he was three, four years old or whatever, um, he couldn't, he couldn't pronounce my name. Um, so his attempts of trying to say Liam came out as Neiman and everyone thought this was really cute and adorable. And for a while that became my nickname, uh, which was quite nice. Of course, these aren't Doctor Who fans, which is probably just as well, because at the back of my head, it's like, oh, it's cute. He can't say my name. He's called me Neiman. A bit of, you know. But obviously, there's <laughs> a little bit in the back of my head going, but he's that wanker from the Keeper of Traken, Proctor <laughs> Neiman. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, even even he's a, an interesting uh, character. You know, someone who can't be entirely trusted. He's very easily bribed. Very power hungry. Um so there's you know yeah. there's that, um, but go, going back to it as well with with what uh, how Johnny Byrne writes these characters they they all seem to have, um, especially with Cassia and Tremas in particular you know kind of you know strong backstories you get a sense of who these people are. The fact that we get the master as the the villain in the story actually because I, I, I th- from I think I'm right in saying that the story had been commissioned and was in the process of being written before then John Nathan-Turner said, oh, actually, I think I want to bring the master back. I actually think making Melka the master is an instance where I think this actually adds to the story.
0: Yes, um, it seems like the perfect setting because... Charken is a place that um, evil can't reside, mm-hmm. um, and I guess you could think of the master as pure evil. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like that just the right setting, and much like Utopia, the master is clearly playing the long game. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because the statue's been there for a long time.
1: Yeah, and I think this adds something else. He's basic, you know. So, um. The way that's introduced is Trakan uh, is, you know, just a really well-maintained, peaceful world and everything just seems to work. And because of that, it attracts evil beings. But because everything's just so nice, um, it, it basically um, stops these evil creatures. And, I, you know, some of them actually become redeemed or some of them just calcify and die. Um Melka comes oh, along. Oh sorry, um
0: so, I've just got a notification. Um W I I've signed up to um Threads. It's the new meta version of like Twitter.
1: Oh right, yeah, I've heard
0: yeah yeah. Oh yeah, just yeah, uh, Doctor Who Appreciation Society just followed us. Shall I follow them back?
1: Mm, yeah, go on then. Okay, fine. <laughs> I, com- I completely forgot they're still a thing. Um We'll follow them back, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's quite nice. Do they follow us on Twitter? Are they on Twitter? Is Threads worth it? What's it like using it? Well, it's not
0: as easy on the eyes because I like dark mode in Twitter, and this is all white. All <laughs> oh, right, okay. Uh, it's, it's it's essentially the same same thing. Um, I don't know what. Well, I guess time will tell. Um, what the um.
1: People will be like on like the kind of attitudes. We'll see. Well, you never know. I mean, back in the day, you know, when Twitter first started, that was that was nice, and then <laughs> and then and then that lasted one of all the five minutes. So maybe the same thing with Threads. We will we will see. Um. Anyway, sorry. So yes, going back to it. So when these evil creatures sort of come, they they get uh, they get kind of looked after a bit, and Cassia is the one who's um, given the task of looking after and maintaining Melka, and. You get the sense that all oh, what she's done is basically made sure that um you know the, the the statue's maintained gives it flowers and stuff, and it is quite nice it's it's a but, little bit
0: more than that but it
1: is a l yeah it is more than that, and you, you kind of there is this sense especially you know as the story story progresses i mean there is that moment when Melka speaks to her. And that that's quite a dramatic moment, um, and she's surprised by that. But you kind of go, you know, the fact that you know she's maintained the Melka since a, since a, since she was a child. There is this, this there is this awful sense that the master has basically because, as you said, Rob, he's very much playing the long game. He's essentially and, groomed
0: her. Definitely, because she's definitely got this affinity for him. Yeah. Um. And she's not fully under the master's control
1: until she puts the necklace on. But
0: yet she's still kind of doing his bidding before
1: that. Yeah, but again, that goes into, you know, so what the most, what the, you know, because I like Cassia as, as a character. She's very she's very interesting. Um, because, yeah, she's doing all this stuff which is affecting the society of Trachan and helping who we would later discover to be the master. But she's doing it from the point of view that, you know, she loves Tremas, you know, and she's married this man. Um, but he's been nominated to be the following Keeper, which is the position of power, which will um, effectively, because of his duties and how the, the Keepership operates, will mean that she will never see him again. So she's coming from from the sense of of love of going well if i can prevent him from coming keeper then i can spend time with him because i love him but obviously the master is using that to manipulate her there yeah. is there is in fact cuz i think the scene which sums up where she who she is as a person is when um she's been having a conversation with the melka and the melka stops the conversation doesn't want to talk to any anymore and Nissa has sort of uh, has come into the grove and sees that something's going on and sneaks into the bushes to kind of spy on what's going on. Um, Cassia has clocked this and then she turns round, pretending she hasn't observed it, and then drags Nissa out um, of the bushes and then basically chastises her and tells her that the Doctor Adric and her father Tremas, are under lock and key. And she says this line which is going, you know, go home. All oh, you know, good of this will come in time. And Nyssa sort of runs off. And she collapses. And she's clearly emotionally distraught by the fact that, you know, she's just stized Nyssa. It's not who she is as a person. But the situation that she has landed herself in through through what she's been doing and through the how the master's been manipulating her, it's twisted everything up. And it's... It's it's a real it's a real um you know it it's a situ- it's it's moments like that which make uh make the situation and the characters feel more believable it's a believable reaction and it's just these little moments which flesh out the you know the the drama of it
0: yeah um yeah it's a strange position for her. Mm. like obviously she's got this affinity for the um what's it called melka the melker. Yeah. Um, But it's to the extent where people even mock her for um, her level of affinity for it.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So maybe, but I guess that maybe um, that has something to do with um, how much the master was kind of grooming her. I wonder if he had some kind of influence on her over the years as well.
1: Hmm. Yeah, mate, yeah. I mean, you, you, it could be suggested that maybe... You know, I don't think this is the case, but um, if someone were su- to suggest the idea that he has emotionally made her fall in love with Tree Mass, in order to follow this line you know I mean you I don't think that's the case I do, I do think she you know genuinely fell in love with the, with the tree mass and the master's just using that but if someone were to argue the case that you know that that you know that it could be interpreted along those lines you go yeah I could buy that that's, that's a possibility
0: hmm.
1: but either way I think you know it's very clear that the master's been manipulating Cassia ever since she was a child and I think that says a lot about <laughs> says a lot about the character Mm. You know, the master is evil Oh yeah <laughs> Not that there was any ever question of it But I think, you know, I think this is a very good example To demonstrate how evil he is
0: mm. Um. So this is Jeffrey Beaver's one and only TV story mm-hmm. um, And uh, What do you make of his appearance? Of course he's got teeth for lips Are we meant to Can't <laughs> overlook that? Um, Are we meant to like look at it through a, a really old TV?
1: Well, no. I mean, keeping in mind it was, it was a little was, bit. <laughs> this was the early '80s. It wasn't like the 1960s where it was small and low resolution and all the rest of it. The yeah. the, the picture was a bit better.
0: Uh, at least it wasn't like Deadly Assassin. He doesn't have like ping pong balls for eyes.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, maybe you would want a sort of um, a cross between the two because apart from the Ping pong, bo- apart from the <laughs> ping pong balls for eyes, with that with that mask, it is very you know sort of emaciated flesh coming off. It's a very grotesque mask. Yeah. Um, and this is more. It looks like he's you know he's more of like someone who is severely burnt. I mean, to be perfectly yeah. honest, I do much I do prefer the uh, the design and the makeup in this story, the Keeper of Charcon.
0: Yeah, me too. Big Finish has done a few illustrations and covers and booklets with Jeffrey Beaver's master mm. but um, more realistic of how he looks so you could think of him as maybe a younger version of this master well obviously all versions are younger than this master <laughs> because yeah. this is the end of the end of the line for him
1: mm. um, but thing, I mean it's I mean he's clearly supposed to be the same the same master as that we saw in The Deadly Assassin mm. You, I'm just curious to take your uh, have your take on this, Rob. Is that master Anthony Aynley? Uh No, um, sorry. Uh, is that master Roger Delgado? Or a different master? In The Deadly Assassin? Mm. Uh
0: Personally, I, I, I've always, I've not necessarily considered him to be like in this story Jeffrey Beaver's master says he is the twelfth regeneration, which with him being on his last life, we can assume that's his thirteenth body. yes um I didn't necessarily consider Delgado to be the first or the last, mm-hmm. but I think expanded universe stuff would place him a bit in the middle um but Noah, the deadly assassin master I didn't consider him to be. Uh, Roger Delgado,
1: no. No, no, I was just curious. I'm on the, uh, I'm on the same page as with you. I, I, I've always thought that it was a different master, um, but I know that some people have have said that, you know, f- from their point of view, um, they do regard him as the same. Which oh, is all right, okay. You know, so, so I know that that's opinion of for, from for for some Doctor Who fans. So I was just wondering what your thoughts on it were. Um, no, I kind
0: I kind of thought otherwise, mm. but. Um, The continuity of the Master in the expanded stuff um, is hard to make sense of, I think, with the big finish stuff. Even Jeffrey Beaver's Master, um, some people have theorised that he plays two incarnations as well because of the continuity stuff that's going on. Right, okay. Um, You know what we should do soon, maybe after our little holiday? Mm. Um, We could do the tales from the vault stuff, the unit stuff with um, with the Master.
1: Oh, okay. I've not heard um, of that.
0: Well, that's the stuff, I've mentioned it maybe a few years ago, that's the stuff um, set under the Angel of the North.
1: Oh, sorry, Rob, yes, you have mentioned that. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, um,
0: there's a short story anthology, which is the first one, where they're going through the unit vault, which is a bit like the Black Archive full or the Torchwood Hub, almost like a hybrid of that. Right. Um with artifacts in there. Um and the second one, I think it's Mastermind, is a tale of how Jeffrey Beaver's master was incarcerated there. Which is um a very long winded but it's an interesting tale.
1: Oh right, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, we should. Yeah. Um now obviously Rob you've You've seen the story... Before. Countless times you, over the years. Yeah, Countless but, times over the years. I mean, when you first watched this, I, I, I'm i making an assumption here, but I think when you first watched this, had you already seen stories of Anthony Ainley as the master? Yes. Um, of
0: course, I'd... Well, I'd seen Cash Revolver. Mm-hmm. Possibly Mark of the Rani. He's in that, am I thinking...
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, he is in that. Yeah, yeah. Mark
0: Theroni. Mm-hmm. And I think then I'd seen Logopolis, then this. Right, okay. Um uh, what 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 other significant alien stories is there?
1: Uh apart
0: from uh, uh, well, survival I hadn't seen for a yeah. few years after, until a few years after that.
1: Yeah, he's in uh hang on, see if I can remember them all. So obviously he's in Logopolis, he's in Castrovalva. Time flight
0: yeah, that's, um, that was a later one that I'd seen. Yeah. But I, I guess this whole this whole trilogy was um, some of my earliest kind of exposures, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I can't... i definitely seen... Um, I'd seen The Five Doctors, because that was the first Peter Davison story. Oh, yeah. Story. How
0: could I forget that? Uh,
1: that I'd seen. So I'd seen that. I can't remember. But you yeah, but, have. But basically, by the time that I... Saw the keeper of trucking for the first time. I'd already seen um, Anthony playing the Master, so seeing this, seeing him play Tree Mass, and knowing that he's in Castrovalva, um, and Le- and obviously Legopolis before then, I knew that. Oh, okay, this is this is the story where we will see this man become the Master at the end of it. Despite that, though, it's still effective, and I think a big the reason why it's still effective is at the end of the day I, and that, this is something that i don't think uh, many people comment on when they talk about antony but he's a very good actor and i think you know um if you're going to demonstrate this see how he plays the master see how he plays TreMas completely different people completely different characters and i love how he plays TreMas it's T- amazing to watch it like is the performance yeah, it's absolutely fantastic, and it's again sort of like going with Utopia. You have this guy Professor Yana, who's really nice, lovely guy. Gets on well with the Doctor, played by Oh, Crumbs. What is it with me names recently? He's a really famous actor, Jackaby. Yes, Derek Jacobi, uh, played brilliantly by Derek Jacobi. And you know, and when you see those moments of like when he's being. Professor Yana and his transformation as being the master. You're, wow, that's a really fantastic performance. Um and it is, it truly is, and I think it gets an all but I think big reason why it gets an awful lot of attention is because it's Derek Jacoby playing that, and he's a very well fa- very famous, very well respected actor. Anthony Ainley, I think, does exactly the same thing in this story you know he plays this character treemass which is a lovely character very well written and he plays it incredibly well and then just those few moments at the end of the story when he's when he's the master it's i, I do think it's kind of chilling it and it, it's not treemass um suddenly with black hair and a beard and his clothes have changed all black and well uh changed clothes, and that. That's it. No, it's it's a completely different performance.
0: Yeah. It's almost a shame we didn't get him for longer.
1: Yes, like Derek Jacoby. Yeah. <laughs> um but yes, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's who I
0: meant, Jacoby for longer as well. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. Um mm. so, so yes, even though so even though coming to the keeper truck and knowing that, that the, you know, knowing at the end of it that Anthony and he's gonna become this character at the end of it. Um, it still has an impact, uh,
0: and it's a it's a very memorable story. Mm. Um, there's little hallmarks of this story that I'll never forget, like, of course, the transition at the end, mm-hmm. which is a very nice scene between the master, um, coming out the clock mm-hmm. and kind of taking over his body. Yeah. And the Melka. Um, mm-hmm. and the. the a bizarre character the watcher oh sorry um, the keeper yes yeah yeah Um, just this old guy with long fingernails
1: I bet he stinks (laughs) has
0: he been sat there for a thousand years
1: well you know he's he's supposed to have tremendous powers I'd hope that his nails are horrible his nails are horrible but I suppose you know I would hope that you know the powers that he has includes having the power to have a wash
0: (laughs) yeah maybe (laughs) But what does he do in his downtime?
1: <laughs> where, where does he go? That's a good question. Don't know. Suddenly, doesn't get uh, go anywhere to get his nails done. No.
0: <laughs> so, any other story bits you want to go over?
1: Um. I can't, I can't think of any at the moment. I mean, unless... Because, yeah, um, I think we've covered the the story obviously quite gen- generally, but how about you? Is there anything that you want to talk about or any scenes? Hmm.
0: Not scenes in particular, maybe little elements like the doctor was shooting people, which we don't often see. Mm-hmm. But he, he was quick to take that little gun from this side. Like, he just shoved it in his pocket and he's shooting people. And then he knocks those guys out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the three people just kind of bats their heads together. Oh, yes, I do, I do like <laughs> just gonna, have you heard
1: that. Have you heard the saying two heads are better than one and then bashes them? <laughs> well, I think one head's better than three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <I do. laughs> yeah, did like that. And I yeah. think... Um, uh, I think Tom Baker's uh, performance in the story is is sort of interesting. There are moments where he comes across as quite weary, and I mean this in a good you know in a good way. There's something about you know Tom Baker's performance and how the Doctor was written and the theme of entropy and all the rest of it. It suits that. But I also think this is probably the last time Tom Baker had. Um, any real enjoyment of playing the doctor? The, you know, there are scenes in here where he's clearly just enjoying it, like he, like, you know, like he, how he's always done. Um, you don't get that sense when you're watching Logopolis. Mm, you know, right. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Uh, whereas here, you know, you've got that, you know, particularly in the scenes where uh, where they're in the prison. You know, he's waving at passers-by, going, "Lovely day." And then he's got a bit of cobweb hanging from his nose, and you can. Oh, Tom Baker's clearly done that deliberately as a bit of business just to entertain <laughs> himself. But you know, <laughs> two years, and that was his. You know, thing as the Doctor uh, and what have you. So, um, so yeah, I, th- I, th- I think this is probably the last time that uh, the Doctor had uh, Tom Baker had sort of any real enjoyment of playing the, of playing the role um, before getting that sort of apprehension of now he's going to leave it. Um, And just going back to it, I know I mentioned before, but I do think. I mean, I've, I've I've never really had any big problem with the character of Adric or Matthew Waterhouse as an actor, but I think the Keeper track can mark something of of him as an actor. I think maybe it was the fact that Lala Ward wasn't around; he was he felt a bit more relaxed. Um, whatever it was, I think it pays off, and I, uh, <laughs> that could be it. Yeah, and I think um, I think. Uh, he and uh, Tom Baker have some really nice scenes, and some nice interactions, particularly in the first episode when they're in the Tardis. Um, yeah, that whole thing of going. Um, no, I just say that you know sometimes you don't make an awful lot of sense. Oh, you've noticed that, have you? And you know, you know, one the lines I like the script, but how they, you know, perform it. Um, it's you know there are some really delightful moments. Uh, in it and but there's real sense of drama in the story and i like the i like the idea that johnny Byrne explores and yeah i'm just going down the the path of repeating myself everything that i've said yeah. in the previous hour but um yeah anything for you to add rob
0: um no that pretty much sums up my thoughts as well do you think the story could have explored the themes of evil had it not been a master story?
1: I think it could have. Um, but there's something about making the villain the master. It just seems to hit home more. I just think it sells it more. Um, yeah. It's
0: interesting that we had the mystery being unraveled a little, a little bit. When I think it was with Adric when he um, is taking some readings, going over the data, um, and he realizes that the it's detected... A TARDIS.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But he doesn't say that out loud. He needs to go and confirm that with the doctor first. Yeah. Um. So the mystery's kind of being unraveled as it
1: goes on. Yeah, there's, there's nice, nice little hints. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It's it, it's funny inside the Master's TARDIS where he doesn't have one monitor. He has two eye-shaped monitors, mm-hmm. almost like he's a little man inside. <laughs> yeah, just go
1: he's a He's a tiny man trapped inside the head of the statue. yeah. yeah. Um, so where do
0: you want to go now do you want to see what some people thought of it
1: Uh, yes I did have the feedback open but my phone has decided to close it stupid phone right got it so uh, yes so we have had um, some responses uh, which I'm going to read um and someone also sent in feedback via email, which you can do if you go to our website, which is cloisterbellpodcast.com. Is that right, Rob?
0: It is, yes. Yeah. And, and and the the email address would also be feedback at cloisterbellpodcast.com.
1: Excellent. Thanks, Rob.
0: Yeah. Um I I I'll also give out Liam's personal email. If you like, it's uh, it's Liam at to <laughs>
1: say, You will not, but yeah, okay, fair enough. Um So you wanna go message Liam, say hello? <laughs> so uh Gareth Alexander got in contact and said a great episode, but the start, I don't count ca- I don't count Khalid's necessarily. Uh Khalid is um time flight. Uh, a great episode, but the start—I don't count Khalid necessarily—to the interminable anagramming of everything as a fun joke. Tree mass, estram, James stroke, Mister Saxon, Torchwood. Um, yeah, because tree mass is an anagram of master. Um, uh, I don't think I don't know who's that. I think that was John Nathan Turner's idea, actually, because I'm sure I remember uh, Christopher Bidmead, who's the script editor. Saying he didn't quite like that idea, especially because it seemed to sort of like suggest it was predetermined that the character Tree Mask will become the master. Um, yeah, which I which I get. Um, so yeah, it does. It or maybe does.
0: he was he was destined to be the master. Yeah. Um, or did, was it a bit of foreshadowing? In the master called himself the master. Because he know he would, uh, he's, it's an anagram of tree mask.
1: <laughs> you know what? I love that a lot more. That, that works. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, but James uh, Stoke. I think that was for King's Demons. And yeah. that, uh, and that's how uh, he was billed in the Radio Times. And that's uh, an anagram of Master's joke. Oh right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that people spent time doing this nuts. Anyway. Um, Harry, uh, another friend of the podcast. Hi Harry. Hi Harry. How you doing? Um he said The Master is ridiculously ridiculous. I've grown to appreciate the Anthony portrayal too, even if he's so over the top in this. The story is a bit diminishing return. Starts well and slowly drops off. Mm. Um Yeah, thanks for that, Harry. With all due respect, I disagree, but you know, each to their own. <laughs> um because funny enough, it's you know how the the story begins, Rob, with the scenes in the TARDIS, and you know how you have the old keeper with the, the with the absolutely gross nails.
0: Yeah, that old smelly dude. <laughs>
1: yeah, that old smelly dude. Um What do you think of that as a, as a way of beginning the story and setting everything up and explaining Clarken?
0: It explains it well. Hmm. We we even get the point where he takes over the monitor. Mm-hmm. Um. And shortly after he does, he's polite. He's like, "Oh, do you mind if I do this? Like, yeah, go on. <laughs> um, it explains it well, mm-hmm. but maybe it's a bit jarring because like, d- is the makeup effective? And also, he's hopping around the place. Why Why do we need such a powerful character in this story? Why does the Keeper have to be such a bizarre character? Um and why does he look the way he does? That's my only criticism of the introduction.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I would say that I think I think the makeup is good. I think it would be effective if the lighting was brought down. Because you can tell he's wearing a bald cap. <laughs> um, but I don't think the way that it's not a cap, that's like a giant egg. Yeah, so he's wearing, <laughs> he's wearing a bald egg. Um which in terms of, I think how it was applied and how the makeup team would have would have done all that, I think they do a good job. It's just that, you know, when when everything's, you know, when you've got every single light pointing at it, of course it's going to show. Um, yeah.
0: Probably going to start to melt.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that obviously being a TARDIS scene and everything's white, it is very uh, highly lit. The rest of, the, you know, when, when they're on track and I think that's well lit and everything, it's just that TARDIS scene. Um yeah, no, it was just with uh, with Harry's comment of him saying that he thinks it starts well and then slowly drops off. For me, uh, I think the opposite. I, I've got absolutely no problems with those scenes at the beginning, um, but there is a part of me think it, you know, it's it's a long Tardis scene, and I don't think they're necessarily sort of like the greatest way of introducing a story. But yeah, it, it's, I'd say the opposite too. Um, so I think it starts off well, but gets better as the story goes on but anyway um william b morton says gets better each time i watch which i agree with actually i mean i've always liked the story but uh as i've got older and then i've watched it more i have i have enjoyed it you know i do tend to enjoy it more and i think um I mean I know Rob that we've got in terms of the televised series we've got one more to watch which is Legopolis. Um but of the season eighteen stories do you have a favourite?
0: Hmm. It, could we go through them? We have
1: um Uh so we have so I'm just looking at the televised stuff. Uh so we have the Leisure Hive, Megloss Full Circle, Stated K, Warrior's Gate, Keeper of Trocon, Logopolis. I've got, I've got a bit of a soft spot for the Leisure Hive, right? Okay,
0: for some reason, um, <laughs> but yeah, maybe I do like this a lot. I don't have much criticism for
1: this. Yeah, and I think I mean uh, I like um, yeah I, I kind of like uh, you know I like the Leisure Hive as well. I like Full Circle. State Decay is great, like that as well. But yeah, I think of the the stories of season eighteen. I think the Keeper of is actually my favorite. Yeah, not bad at all. And I have gone through. It's like oh, Warriors Gate's my favorite. No, State Decay's my favorite. But I think of of this season. I think yeah. As time's gone on, I tend to get drawn to this story a lot more than the others. Yeah, I really
0: enjoyed watching it today.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I watched it today as well. Yeah, yeah, so thanks for those. And uh, Grant um, very kindly uh, wrote us uh, an email. Um, He had to... What was the story, Rob, about him having to have a rushed rewatch of it?
0: Oh, because I'd mentioned on Grant um, talks to us on Discord and I think I'd mentioned it there and and I think he'd said um he was gonna have a watch of it in the afternoon. So maybe i didn't give him much notice to watch it.
1: Ah right, okay, fair enough. Well he sent us um two emails. Um his second one was uh shorty something that he wanted to add. I'll come to that oh, yeah, he, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll come to that separately. Cause there's something I want to add to that. But anyway, um he says An entertaining trip back to the early eighties, on a rushed rewatch, I blame you, Rob. I forgot how much I enjoyed this story. Intended or not, the fourth Doctor comes across as a man tired of saving the universe, probably a mix of story, and by this point, Tom Baker's desire to leave. The story itself works well as a traditional who adventure, nodding in the direction of previously used formats. Mistaking identity is a prime example. Whilst using John Nathan Turner's desire for for more science and storytelling, so cue lots of fancy words. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, actually, there is a lot of those. The Doctor and Adric work well together, and the opening Tardis scene is good fun. Adric is slightly less annoying than in other stories, working as an apprentice to the wiser, but sometimes not making much sense Doctor. Like a lot of stories around this time, the wise men have a tremendous array of facial hair and all look as though they are plucked from a BBC, Shakespeare or Charles Dickens adaptation. Also, not sure why Nyssa is dressed as a pantomime fairy. <laughs> yeah, uh, that pretty much ties in with how everyone else is looking, just, uh, just their skirts to the floor. Anyway, the master was on form and I'm sure when people first saw this story they were suitably surprised by Tremas becoming master. The Melka is a great idea for a villain, and how the master plays the long game as him to get what he wants is first class. Jeffrey Beavers is suitably menacing, even with that dodgy makeup on. This season always takes me back to my childhood the theme and incidental music, all of it. Happy memories from a time before I was more observant of the finer details. One thing that has always bugged me is that Adric knows a lot about end space. He knows some of the equipment used and he can read the doctor's time logs. Is he that clever? He can read Gallifreyan. Even if it's in English, he still shouldn't be able to read it. A minor annoyance, but something that irks me. Yeah. I'll, I'll just put uh, that down to the TARDIS's translation. Yeah. Thing.
0: Translated. And um, a lot of the technology and architect, architecture and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um A lot of that stuff in in e-space came from n-space.
1: Oh, yes. So that... See, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, so so it could be explained in that sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the culture is the same. Yeah. See, Grant, there's an explanation for everything. But no, thanks for that. I really, really appreciate that. And so um, he had something else to add. So I've noticed something else I forgot to add in my comments. Why does the Master have two TARDISes? The clock is definitely in the control room, which is another TARDIS. I have a headache. (laughs) Um, The reason why I wanted to... So going back to the Doctor Who handbook, which I got the plot synopsis from uh, earlier on, they make the same point. Um, Sorry, could you explain what the issue is there, precisely? Well, the issues are sort of like, right, in terms of the Master's planning. And you know how you've got this thing about what happens when you have a TARDIS inside a TARDIS? Yes. Um, which we'll get to... In Legopolis. In Logopolis, yeah. um, But it's also in stories like the Time Monster, I think, as well. But... Um, so it's like, why... It, I think the question is sort of like, well, why... Because Melka is a TARDIS. Yes. He's got another TARDIS, which is inside that TARDIS. Is so? Is the clock inside the Melka? Yes, that, we. we that I mean, it. we actually see it. Yeah, yeah. Okay,
0: but what if the what if is Tardis just takes the shape of the clock, but the one inside is an actual clock?
1: <laughs> C- could be, um, but so the Doctor Who handbook on their comment on this story it goes, it is not, however, explained how. If the Melka is the master's TARDIS, it is bigger inside the now can move via dematerialization and is said to be a TARDIS in the story, he can have an additional TARDIS inside the Melka. This one is disguised as a grandfather clock. So they make that point. Mm. I think, because correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think it's categorically stated that Melka is a TARDIS. It's just said it, that it's, it, it's... it does
0: Tardis sounds when it materializes. It, it does, materializes. Uh,
1: but I think it could be explained that it's like a Tardis. Yes, it's dimensionally transcendental, and it dematerializes. It, ha- it has the black roundels inside, though. <laughs> yeah, but not throughout. It's just a small, small portion of wall. Yeah. But yeah. the scanner matches the Malka's eyes. Yes, yeah. and so, th- so the outward appearance. Is reflecting the interior dimensions. We don't see that in any other TARDIS. So I think well, this. Is, so I think it could be expected if you really want to drill down to it. I think. Sorry, Rob, you can get back to me. I'll just get this out and then you can come back. I think that Melka is TARDIS like, has some of the same technology, but is not a TARDIS. And he stored his proper TARDIS, which is the grandfather clock inside. Because the Melka thing would have limited use, which is just for his purposes on Trachon. Right, okay, I can go with that. It does make
0: no sense why the interior would have big eyes like he's inside the Megazord or something. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense. Yeah,
1: and maybe the reason why he had to do that was because the TARDIS's uh, chameleon circuit wouldn't make it look like something like the Melka. Because it wouldn't blend yeah. into the surroundings as such. So he's like, well, I've got to make something to do that. Are you buying this, Rob? Does any of this make sense?
0: I guess so. And have we ever had a TARDIS exterior that um, is not inanimate? And moves?
1: I don't think we have. No. No, well, I don't think we have it. actually.
0: Oh, well, maybe it's not a TARDIS.
1: <laughs> but yeah, Grad, I'm not surprised your head hurts. If, I, if, if this is the sort of convoluted crap I've got to come out with in order for it to make sense. Yeah. Um, but there you are. Yeah. <laughs> has, the ta- has the Master
0: had many TARDISes throughout his run? you think D- different ones well what am i saying where, where when does the master have a tARDIS beyond um this and logopolis castrovalva
1: oh we'll be seeing the john Pertwee era he has one um
0: yeah well yes yeah, <laughs> I.
1: um it's a what's it? it's a horse box in terror of the autons Is it a computer bank in the time time monster? I've got, or is it just like a cabinet or something? I don't remember. Yeah. Oh, it's a big white cabinet thing in claws of Axos. All right. Um,
0: I think that's so. I guess I guess we could say those those early versions and maybe this are the same Tardis. Possibly the master. The master has a Tardis in the in the new series, I believe. Sasha Dewan has a TARDIS, doesn't he? Do we ever see it?
1: Oh, no, hang on, we do, isn't it? Isn't his TARDIS the... um, Basically that bungalow or hut thing? Oh, yeah. I yeah. forgot about that. Is that the only time we see his?
0: Does he have a duplicate
1: of Jodie's TARDIS in his final story? Oh, hang on. Uh, I'm a bit confused by that now. I don't know whether it's a version of Jodie Whittaker's TARDIS from the future that's been used, or if it oh, right. Or is it... Oh, hang on. Or, or where does it the Master's TARDIS looked like a replica of the Doctor's TARDIS? I can't remember, Rob. It's Whatever it, it is, it's impact, convoluted. Whatever whatever I don't know that, that much. Yeah. but
0: <laughs> It didn't have an impact on us, really.
1: No, I mean, the, the, I think there was a lot more going on in that. Today. It probably made sense <laughs> when we were watching it, but I, I can't remember. Aye. Um, any other... Comments that we may have missed? Um, I'll double check. Um, if you can have a look as well, Rob, sorry. But um, I don't think so. If uh, if anyone has gotten contact and I've missed your comments, I can only apologise. Because um, I do like it when we get... Uh, it is interesting getting people's comments, but I don't think...
0: Did we read... Oh, there's some comments on the poll.
1: Oh, yes, you're right. I think that... Yes, you're right. I thought I'd seen more. Well, William B. Morton. I know I've read one of his other comments, but he commented again. He went, good. So good. Yeah. Um Alex Gibbons. He said it's one of my favourite it's one of my favourite great performances from Tom. Plus, Introducing a New Companion works really well. Audiobook is great. Plus new Blu-ray edition looks stunning still. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh i d I've not listened to the audiobook for this. I wonder who reads it. Is the D de- is the Blu-ray a lot less double-exposed and blurry? Uh, yes, I think it is. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, James got in contact. He said, "I quite enjoy this episode. It introduces one of my favourite companions with a great, great, and sad backstory. Pretty good master reveal too. I know when Ash gets Balbazar." Charmandy and squirtle it always makes me think of when the fourth doctor gets adric nisser and tegan all oh, right
0: oh that's nice that's a nice analogy good air. Uh, good symmetry between those stories <laughs> where is he going with this
1: right okay <laughs> <laughs>
0: um james also left us a comment last monday morning right um because clearly i'd uh I'd said something disturbing at the end of last week's episode, <laughs> and you 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 compared me to Joseph Stalin, and, <laughs> and James had commented that morning. I'm not going to lie, but Rob's last speech worried me. I thought, did did Rob just join a cult? <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to apologise for whatever I said. I, I clearly well, no, um, I mean you were reading, as it
1: turned out, Rob. You were reading something that an AI had created.
0: Yeah, all I did was. Um, I said, look, we are discussing, um, what was the story? Oh, uh, Midnight. I said, we're discussing Midnight, and this is what happened. Please write me a few closing words for the podcast, some of it with deep meaning um, on the themes of the episode. Thanks, and it gave me that. Yeah,
1: I remember reading that just going, What the hell is this? <laughs> um and then when it explains, like, oh right, okay, yeah. Don't <laughs> so it was, it was again, James, when when, when I was reading that, I was listening to it the first time, going, What the f <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I probably
0: should have told you beforehand. I just went into it. <laughs> and then we didn't even say goodbye, so I couldn't even cut it out of the edit. <laughs>
1: Actually you did say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that's everything that we've uh, got to say on the Keeper of Traken. And for everyone who got in contact, thank you very much for your comments. Really interesting. Um, so Rob, what we're we doing next week? Oh, um, okay. So
0: we're on the road to the 60th anniversary, um, and we can kind of anticipate what stories might link in with that. One of them we're going to choose is the Celestial Time Maker. Fingers crossed, it does tie in with the sixtieth. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, if it doesn't, it doesn't make this um, discussion redundant or anything. It, it will just make it a standalone exploration of the Celestial Time Maker. Um, it's a first Doctor story. Uh, one episode exists, Um the rest will be on audio. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably a book out there as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I remember the episode quite well. The the audios I'm not as familiar
1: with. I'll have to give them another listen soon. Um, so, yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you looking forward to that? Or
1: I am, yes. I not. mean, I always remember... So it's a four-episode story. Not bad. Which, with the last one, is the one that we can watch, which is the final test. And I know, like you, Rob... Very familiar with it on the Hartnell Years VHS. Yeah. And I always loved it as a kid. I have listened to the the audio of the the story, but I think only once, many, many years ago. So,
0: yeah, I remember there's some kind of disturbing scenes with clowns and things.
1: Yeah, and I think there's something to do with Dodo at the beginning of the story, seeing something about her dead parents or something. So, I remember things being a bit creepy. And I remember of the BBC uh, past Doctor books, Gary Russell wrote a story called Divided Loyalties, which was with the fifth Doctor. And it was a sequel that saw the return of the Celestial Toy Maker, and the fifth Doctor having to do battle with him. And I remember always enjoying that an awful lot. All um... oh, right, I wonder if I've
0: got that to have a route through the loft
1: yeah uh, I mean I, I can't remember much of the story apart from the fact that the Doctor wears silk pyjamas covered in question marks which felt yeah that feels of the period I, if that was a scene in the TV series I can see Jonathan Turner commissioning that yeah um, uh, but I remember John, yeah so I can't remember much of episodes 1 to 3 um, so I think it probably will feel like uh, discovering a Doctor Who story all over you know completely afresh Um but as I said, I remember yeah. like some bits and pieces of it, but not the whole, not the whole thing. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. That's good. Well, um, thanks everyone. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. And as Rob said before, next week we will be reviewing uh, the Hauntless Story, of the Celestial Toy Maker. But until then, uh, look after yourselves. Hope you're all well. And goodbye. Bye bye. <laughs>
0: cloister bell imminent disaster
1: the cloister bell yes what's that well it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations
0: that's the cloister bell don't worry about that for now it's not really terribly significant
1: the cloister bell oh no